0: Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. Sustainable Stories is here to bring you the stories behind sustainability in our communities. From big to small, practical to theoretical, we're exploring the people and projects that are working to make our world a more sustainable, equitable, and healthy place to live. Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. My name is Jenna Inglot and I will be your host for today's episode. I'm really excited to have the guest with me today, Matthew Braun, who is the Manager of Conservation Science and Planning at the Nature Conservancy of Canada. So welcome Matthew, thanks for being here today.
1: Hello and thank you for having me.
0: So Matthew, just to start us off, um, could you just tell us a, a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, and maybe a bit about the journey that led you to where you are today with uh, Nature Conservancy of Canada?
1: Yeah, you bet. So um, I, am, I am in charge of science and planning in Saskatchewan for the Nature Conservancy of Canada, and uh, my job is to direct the planning that our organization does in Saskatchewan to kind of focus our work in particular areas of the province that uh, we feel we need to, we could we could be of some use there, and to make sure that we're we're focusing on uh, the most important aspects of biodiversity in those areas, and the and focusing our efforts on the best way to uh, to try and support those or increase those those bits of biodiversity that are in the province, and so our our plans are. Um, I work with as many different stakeholders as I can, and I've got a great team here in the Saskatchewan region of um, uh, beautiful nerds, of uh, wonderful bird people, great plant people, uh, excited people that are into insects, uh, that really appreciate all the different aspects of of nature and and uh, and how they all fit in with our society and our and our economy, and. Um, so we, we work with, with that local group of of, uh, of nature of NCC pe- people to develop those plans with as many different stakeholders as we can. And that really helps us focus our work in the different areas and, and decide which parcels, we, which parcels of land are best suited for the Nature Conservancy of Canada to either purchase or do easements on, uh, what types of projects we should be working on to, to kind of fit with our goals. And, and really helps us bring our partners together and, and where, where we can work together to try and um, complement each other's work and, and really um, make, get, achieve our goals of, of uh, improving biodiversity in, in the province and, and maintaining the good biodiversity that we have here in Saskatchewan. Yeah, and um, I'm, I'm working from my home, I think, as, we, as a lot of us are right now in, in um, just north of Saskatoon uh, in, in Treaty 6 territory, uh, which is, uh, is pertinent for me because it's also, uh, it's also, so so it's, it's the homeland of, of a lot of, uh, generations of Indigenous people, and, um, my cultural group, the, the Mennonites, um, were, were kind of settled in this area in the, in the late 1800s, and, um, and we have benefited enormously from, uh, from those, from the lands that that uh, my cultural group um, spent a lot of time and effort uh, working on, and and and, and I don't want to take that for granted. That those those advantages that we've had that are um, uh, a really important part of uh, of of who I am as well. And, um, and and I think it's it's also humbling to know that the that uh, generations of people came before us and and managed this land as well in. Uh, and that, and that, I think that kind of informs. I try and let that inform who I am and the and the work that I do as well. Um, and it's it's been a it's been a bit of a journey getting to this point. I I went to um, I started off I started off as a kid of a farmer here in this area, and um, I grew up. Uh, running on the stubble fields and jumping over the swathes of, of grain that my parents were uh, harvesting, and uh, uh, that really informed uh, kind of my sense of uh, of self and sense of this of this country. Uh, and as I moved away from home and and pursued my education, um, I, my first my first degree was at um, the Canadian Mennonite Bible College in Winnipeg, uh, which feels like a weird direction for somebody working in conservation but um, it, it a, a, an important aspect of of that education was to kind of put myself in context uh, of the rest of the world and uh, really understand uh, how my own perspective is um, is kind of shaped and molded by my background and uh, and how everybody else kind of fits into their world perspective their own their own cultural experiences and their own, uh, values as well. Um, that education, uh, there, that, that degree in theology kind of, uh, actually, uh, bumped me into thinking, okay, well, I, I really do appreciate those, those agricultural roots, uh, that I, um, that I had a chance to, to grow up in. And, uh, and I do want to pursue more of that aspect of, of, um, how we fit into the world and how agriculture specifically fits in the world. So I, I decided to go to the University of Saskatchewan and and, um, and do a degree in um, agricultural science there. Um, so I, with a with a major in uh, in environmental science as well. So I I did I did that degree and um, as I got further and further down that line, I, I found out more about um, the the different aspects of of agriculture that weren't. Uh, readily apparent to me in in my area the the area that uh, I live in has is heavily dominated by um, uh, dairy farming and so there's a lot of cropped fields annually cropped fields and not a lot of uh, uh, of wild spaces and so I wasn't particularly familiar with that aspect of our province and of that aspect of of agriculture but as I as I learned more about it in school and um, and realizing that that component of agriculture really fits in nicely with uh how I how how I kind of want to explore the world uh, I decided to um to go to do my master's degree in in the college of agriculture in um in the range management department there in the plant sciences department and the range the range section of that which which was an opportunity to really explore those those wild areas and the, and the wildish areas the naturalish areas of Saskatchewan and and that different component of of agriculture but then uh, a lot more of of how agriculture and um, you know the plants and animals of Saskatchewan fit into that as well and um, that uh, and that and so that was that was my, my kind of deep dive into range management. So the management of, of grasslands and, um, and, uh, and areas that are grazed in Saskatchewan, which, which is, which is kind of where I fell in love with it, where, um, I started learning the names of the different plants that were, that were growing here. And and that would have been growing and occupying and sustaining the, the bison and people of, of the place that I I live now, the places those those fields that I was running around on as a kid, uh, I started imagining what they looked like um, before before uh, Mennonites came to this part of the country and started tilling things up. They they looked different, and they and they were um, it was a different a different way of living and uh, a different way of managing and a different way of uh, of um, yeah of of kind of combining all the the environment, the society, the the economy. Um, so when I, I I had a chance to um, explore that, I did I did my degree there in um, it was looking at uh, range management, but it was uh, specifically greenhouse gases associated okay. with um, with native, yeah with native grasslands in Saskatchewan. So that um, that that also got me thinking about okay, what is our footprint uh, on in, in the world not just um, uh, not just food related but also um, looking at uh, carbon and, and methane and nitrous oxide and, and how those um, how those gases are impacting our climate and how our management of the land is is impacting the release of those those gases mm-hmm. um, so that got me. Uh, I, I got. I got a chance to work with some great people there and and explore some some interesting ideas and and again spend some time just hanging out on the prairie, which is which has been really great. Where my my first experience of actually seeing a moose waltz across some some native grassland was pretty amazing, and, and you start to see some of the the animals that I've heard about, but the first time I saw pronghorn. Uh, you know bouncing across the prairie it was was during the master's project and uh, you know you start to you start to fall in love with um, particular particular plants which I think makes you sound like a total goofball because you you now have a favorite grass and you can recognize it from all the other grasses that everybody else look just the same
0: yeah Um, yeah.
1: maybe maybe get a bit more comfortable with getting ticks (laughs) (laughs) So doing that um, doing that degree yeah gave me that intro to to range management and then I, I moved on to working with um, uh, the BC provincial government and helping to manage their rangelands and and their livestock program in British Columbia and um, so I got to travel throughout the province there and see different different grasslands and different um, uh, different management styles and and interact with lots of different people that were, were also sharing the same values and and trying to balance all the different uh, competing interests there um which gave me some good perspective on things and then I uh I was fortunate enough to land this job back in Saskatchewan working uh near and dear to my my home here when from where I grew up which is kind of uh, yeah that's that's kind of how it happened
0: awesome Great. Well, very cool, and 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 it's so so many of the things that you talked about, I, I have questions about. But it was interesting when you shared um, your sort of history and your experience as as a child, and how sort of growing up on the prairies and you know your connection to to the land and agriculture sort of led you down this particular path. And um, similarly, I, I connect a lot of my kind of at every sort of path that led me to a different direction, there's some way to connect it back to that, um, you know, childhood on the prairie or, you know, childhood spending lots of time outside and, and being connected to agriculture. And so, yeah, it's interesting that, that you, you talked about that. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So I'm curious, Matthew, about a few things you shared. So, um, I, I actually don't know much about nature conservancy of Canada. Um, which I feel like I should, cause I, I grew up in rural Saskatchewan. <laughs> I have an RM map. And so I see NCC and I, I know, Great. I know a bit about it from like a rural Saskatchewan, uh, you know, patchwork quilt and, and the land management stuff. But I'm, I'm curious a little bit about that process you talked about around, you know, biodiversity and then, you know, trying to sort of preserve, um, hot spots as you sort of said in 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 the province I'm curious about that process like it it seems to me there's a lot of um there's a lot of collaboration in the work that you do because I'm sure there's a lot of work to be done you know with Mm -hmm. with with producers and landowners and um you know indigenous communities and and indigenous folks and so I'm curious about that process like how you determine um you know what science goes into determining where those biodiversity hotspots are and then kind of how do you determine where where you purchase land I'm, I'm curious about that whole process
1: yeah you bet well and and it's um uh it is it's an evolving process as well so the story I tell you today is going to be different than the than the one we talk about the next time we the next time we talk but um we we're, we're uh on those maps that you've seen those those are, are so they're not our fields uh but there are you know there are I, I don't want to say biodiversity farms and, and, I, and I don't want to say there are preserves either because they're not they're not being set aside they're they really when we, the way we approach conservation is especially in saskatchewan is that the um the landscapes of Saskatchewan all the the grasslands the ones that are the most at threatened uh, are most at risk uh, to being uh converted to annual arable cropland which is which is something that, you know it's important it's a, it's a it's an aspect of of our everyone's life is is producing food uh but that conversion is is a one-way ticket so once you've once you've taken a grassland and and tilled it for for growing other important foods, uh, it's not going back. It's never going to have the same, uh, species diversity and, uh, and structure, uh, and, and not quite the same function as it, as it did before. And so we're really on the lookout for as many of those different aspects in, in, um, in native grasslands as we can. So we're looking for places with, uh, either a high amount of Species, lots of different species, or particularly unique species, ones that are particularly hard to find or don't have as much uh, space, because you know different sets of plants require different um, conditions to grow in, mm-hmm. uh, and we're also for that kind of structure, so that um, some of the some of the mammals and, and invertebrates uh, that that need particular combinations of of uh, habitat are um, are represented in in the work that we do. Um, and then we're we're looking for um, we're looking for particular places that that all that um, that provide all of those, <laughs> and then we're looking for for people that are are willing to work with us on that. So we we don't generally approach any landowners. Um, we're we're a relatively small conservation organization within the province, so we don't generally have the budget to approach landowners. So generally, people. Uh, Probably look at us on the RM map, ask their neighbor about what uh, their experience was, and then and then maybe approach us when they're when they're interested in uh, uh, either selling their land to us as a as a fee simple purchase or or signing a conservation agreement with us where they would uh, retain their their ownership rights and uh, the majority of their ownership rights and sign over um, a few rights. Uh, that would restrict the um, the development of of those lands. so those are those are our easements. Mm-hmm. Um, but increasingly we're when we're going through that process of identifying hot spots uh, important places to conserve, we're also noticing that we can't necessarily um, do all of our work strictly through signing easements or or purchasing land. We have to work with other land managers whose um, who are who often whose values line up nicely with ours and and we might be able to provide them some resources to manage specific species or to achieve uh, you know some tweaks that would achieve our goals as well because uh, because we're really not we're off that far apart from other land managers and it kind of gives us the opportunity to to broaden our our, um, our blanket and or make our tent a bit wider as well. And yeah, in that process, that planning process, uh, we use something called the conservation standards, which is, um, internationally recognized planning, planning process that brings in as much different, uh, as much different scientific information and, and experts and, um, and land manager opinions and experience into, into that, uh, into that mix and really tries to be as clear as possible on what we know and what we don't know. And then to really lay out. Uh, lay it out in kind of a a way that anyone can look at it and say, Oh, that's what your thought process is. And then provide us their perspective so that if we need to adjust things, uh, we can make changes to how we're, how we're operating on the land as well. And so those plans that are, that, that, uh, are, that we try to research and we try to bring in as many different experts as we can are, are kind of our guideposts for setting down what we're trying to achieve in a given area and the strategies that are are the most likely to have the the biggest impact on on the biodiversity of a given area that we're we're trying to conserve
0: okay wow that's really interesting i i'm curious as well about a kind of a kind of personally curious um but also happy to to have this shared with our with our listeners but um if so, so th- this concept of, of still, you know, retaining ownership of a piece of land, um, I think you called them easements, but having Nature Conservancy of Canada um, manage it from that conservation biodiversity perspective, um, yeah can you chat a little bit more about what that looks like and and I say that because I think about or or resources that might be available for for landowners and I'm curious about this personally um my husband and I own a quarter section of land where we live here um north and west of Blaine Lake and it's it's mostly bush um it's in the thick wood hills it's mostly bush and water and um, about six, sixty acres of, of hay um, that that a neighbor cuts and and bales for his cattle, um, but yeah, I'm curious about that about that process because I know it's something. Um, sure my husband and I chat about a lot is like, what would that look like? What are some things that we can do as landowners? Um, I mean, we both have a science mm-hmm. background, so we're understanding of stuff, but it's always helpful to have resources, um, and tools to do that work. So yeah, I'm curious about what that process looks like.
1: Yeah. And I, I should, and that's a good, it's a good opportunity to clarify the, so when we're, when we're talking about, um, the two different tools, the two different land tools that, ncc has one is the outright purchase of of land mm-hmm. uh, and so that's that's our fee simple purchase and we 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 negotiate with uh with a willing willing buyer uh i'm sorry a willing seller we are the willing willing buyer with the willing seller to uh to um to purchase land outright and then when when that happens then ncc becomes the the the, the sole manager of that land will often rent it out to the person who, who either owned it before or was, was leasing it before. Uh, if, if it's, you know, if it's, uh, being grazed or in some cases paid, uh, then we'll, we'll negotiate a similar arrangement with the, um, with the new or with the old, uh, person. Uh, and, and then in that case, we do the, we do the management, we, you know, keep the fences up, we take care of the weeds, we, uh, um, we uh pay the property taxes those sorts of things uh, in the case of the easements the conservation easements those are um, those are when if in, say let's take your case example for example if if your if your quarter section of land uh, falls within a designated area a designated management area for us uh, then and, and you're interested in in signing an easement agreement with us you would um you would you would approach us and we'd talk about it and we would check to see if if it's within one of our management areas and and then based on that plan that has been developed for that area. We check to see if it if your land uh, based on the information that we have available meets meets our criteria for for biodiversity in that area again because we're we're looking to. Um, to really focus our energies on as best we can and so and if it if it meets our, our threshold for for conservation uh then we then we start negotiating between the landowner and, our, and ourselves what um, an easement agreement would look like and what sort of restrictions we can both agree to on that would stay on title with the land that would uh, and the ultimate goal of those restrictions is to maintain or improve biodiversity on that, on that parcel. And there are restrictions that, that you would agree to abide by, and then would stay with, with, uh, with the title in the, in the case that you would either uh, sell it or, or pass it on to someone else. Uh, but in the case of, one of those easement agreements, the landowner yourself in that case would um, maintain, maintain the key management decisions on the property. So if you were, if you're haying it, that would, and that was part of the, the uh, easement agreement, then you would continue to do that and, and work with the, with your neighbor to, uh, to negotiate the, that, that arrangement and you would pay the property taxes and, and make the decisions on, on managing, um, various aspects as long as they stuck with the, the agreements, the restrictions on, on the agreement that we signed with you. Um, yeah. And then in terms of working with, uh, those, so you as a land owner with, a with a conservation agreement with us, uh, we would be, um, in annual contact with you to, to discuss, uh, coming to the property to ensure we do a, uh, an annual monitoring to make sure that the restrictions are still being met. And that's often an opportunity for a landowner to have a discussion with with our biologists and myself, I'm a, a, an agrologist, professional agrologist, uh, to discuss any kind of land management issues you might be having, um, regarding, regarding, um, biodiversity or just any old issue on, on the land. You could, excuse me, have that discussion with, with one of our staff at that point. yeah. I think that, and yeah, and, and it's an opportunity to ask for advice on, on management of weeds or management of particular species. Um, and, and we've got quite a, quite a good network of, of knowledgeable people that can uh, provide some, uh, some help on on those types of topics.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting because I, I feel like it's something, and I could be wrong here, Um, but speaking as a, a landowner myself and someone who grew up on a, um, you know, in a farming family in southeastern Saskatchewan um I feel like it's it's not something that is all that well understood is 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 that piece Mm. and so yeah so that's that's very cool um and and interesting that it's it's quite accessible and and that type of thing so um and and I'm also curious so you you mentioned Matthew that um once you cultivate a piece of grassland um you know, it's, it's a one way street, I think is how you described it. Um, you know, something I think about my my dad is really into this. Um, and he's mentioned it to us as well as, you know, s- seeding our what is hayed land, seeding it back to, to native grasses. And I'm, and I'm curious about that. And, and if that's sort of something that you recommend folks doing or, or like, is there any way I, I mean, is there any way for folks, um, landowners to kind of if they're wanting to, um, contribute in some way to, um, you know, increasing, uh, native grassland as much as possible. Is that something that, that folks do or that you guys do? I'm curious about that.
1: Yeah. So I think, um, I think there's a couple of different pathways. I think I, I maybe I, I, I painted it as a pretty dire picture of, uh, of, um, of that conversion, but there, there are certainly some different options for, uh for for maybe uh uh changing changing what it looks like and and i think it should probably be dependent on what what you're trying to achieve like um uh especially like if again it's fun having a, a specific uh, example so you've got your you've got 68 of hay uh, near the thickwood hills there which is I, I really that's one of my favorite parts about this job was getting to explore i didn't I didn't really. I'm embarrassed to say I didn't spend a lot of time north of Blaine Lake there, but it's it's a really lovely uh, bit of Saskatchewan, and um, and uh, the uh, that particular area has, especially if you're butted up against the thickwood hills, you've got some really great wildlife opportunities there, and um, and you've also got uh, a, a, a diversity. A different kind of diversity in in the types of species that are that are growing there than mm-hmm. than grow in other parts of Saskatchewan, uh, and so you I think what you could do uh, is start looking at well what are what are, what are my goals for managing this land? So I mean, if you're looking to uh, manage it for for some hay uh, for for your farm or for for some ex, extra income. Uh, then you can, there's uh, particular steps you can go down to ensure that you're managing your hayland as sustainably as possible. So uh, I think Ducks Unlimited is a great resource for ensuring that, um, you know, you're, you're avoiding um, uh, particular nesting times for your area so that you're not, you're not damaging any nests or there's, um, uh, you could ask your neighbor to make sure that they have like a shaker bar uh i can't remember what it's called but they got a bar to put in front of your your hay mower so it it scares off any animals and so, so they're not um, they're not injured during that process or there's particular patterns that you can do so you're not chasing everything inside the middle of the field uh, and so you could so you could go down that path of looking for the best way to to manage for hay uh, and then if you wanted to say okay well um maybe maybe i want to uh manage this for a particular type of habitat not necessarily uh not, not necessarily particular plant species but i want it to resemble as closely as possible uh a different you know a, a hay a moat hay field tends to be somewhat homogenous because you because you're applying the same disturbance at the same time every year because that's what you need for to, to get the hay so you could if you decided that you know I don't actually want, hey there, I want I want some other aspect of it. You could start looking at well, maybe there's some shrubs that I could allow to grow in, or um, or maybe I could change when you do the mowing so you have you have some some uh, some areas of, of the of the hay field that are cropped a little bit closer at particular times to match the match the the needs of some of the species in that area, uh, and, and try to manipulate it to to create the different kinds of habitat that that might mimic something in the area. Um, and then if if that if what you were going for was to really try and recreate the vegetation that was there um, before it was hayed, um, then you then you could go down you could go down that path as well and really try and find out, okay, what are the specific plant species that were here? Uh, and and what are their requirements for establishment and and maybe start small into a a trial a trial plot uh in the middle there to see okay what are what are the what are my realistic expenses for this because it's not a cheap uh, not a cheap uh, endeavor and you know there's a lot of follow-up management to try and if you want to keep it in one particular set of species you're going to have to be concerned about invasive species as well um and and try and explore different options with that. and NCC is kind of involved in in all those different aspects of of trying to manage for the given values of of an area. So we're we do have restoration projects that are, you know, these are former um, annual arable cropped annually cropped fields that that had been cultivated for years and years, and now we're we're planting them back to um, an appropriate mix of of native perennials in that area, and then managing weeds and trying over the over the years to. Uh, increase the types of species that are there. Um, and, in, and in some cases we're, we're taking actual hay fields that we've, we've purchased. So we'll purchase, um, a block of land and some of it will be, have been hay fields, uh, like what you're describing there. Uh, and then we'll go, we'll, we'll change the management so that we're, uh, like I said, not, not, not harvesting at the same time every, every year. Maybe we'll switch from haying to, uh, to grazing or, or maybe we'll switch switch when we're doing the hitting, uh just to change things, change things right. up there. So yeah, there's yeah. a few different options.
0: That's exciting. If
1: you're interested yeah. in, yeah, giving it a shot.
0: Yeah, this is cool. I'm I, I'm learning lots. We did do so we we've owned this piece of land since 2016. Um and one of the things we did was so only 60 acres of it is hay and it's kind of disconnected throughout the quarter. Most of the quarter is bush, so hundred acres of it is bush and water. Um and so we just asked the the uh the neighbor who's who was cutting hay, we said, Hey, can you keep 30 feet away from the bush edge and then the next year we ask them again now can you keep another 30 feet away from the bush edge and so it's been interesting going around the quarter and seeing and I mean this is kind of a a laissez-faire sort of management style but we've it's been really interesting seeing how quickly in the four and a half years that we've been doing that how quickly the trembling aspens and, and other native species of, of tree have taken over um, that immediate, that 30 feet immediately close to yeah. the bush. There's places mm. where there's 10 or 12 foot uh, aspens already. Like they're, you know, they're pretty small um, in terms of their yeah. diameter, but they're, they've they really taken over that whole section of the field. So um my husband and I kind of talk about that and we're like you know over time like it's nice to have he's taking the hay he uses it it's great and we have we have some kind of a little hobby farm we don't have much for animals but we said you know it's nice to have that and we keep a few bales a year just to make sure the deer have something for the the cold winter times but um you know we always say it'd be interesting to see what what this place would look like if for the most part um, nature was allowed to sort of re reclaim it almost. Um, so anyways, it's been an interesting, uh, process for us.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's been cool. So one thing, um, Matthew, if you don't mind leaving, leaving our listeners with, so, I mean, a lot of folks joining us on the podcast, um, are typically urban dwelling folks, um, or, or acreage folks. And I'm curious, like, if you have any suggestions or thoughts or, or things for folks to keep in mind, like whether it's their urban backyard or their acreage yard or something, something to keep in mind in terms of conservation things that, that each of us can, can do. So I know some of the questions I get, you know, is, is often around, okay, like this is great and I'm happy to learn this, but what can I do? So I'm curious if you have any mm-hmm. Anything you can leave us with that, you know, individuals or or people, whether they're urban or or suburban living, um, can do when it comes to conservation?
1: Yeah, well, I think there is there is there are things that people can do and and uh, and things that make you stand out a little bit and and be a little bit different. And I think that's that's kind of the key is that uh, uh, nature doesn't really so we, we talk about nature abhorring a vacuum, but I think uh, one of the things that nature actually abhors is, is boring, boring and sameness. And, and I think, mm-hmm. I, I think as residents of Saskatchewan, we, we, we probably got caught up in our own view of, of the prairies as being the same and, and lacking in structural diversity because we don't have any mountains uh, and, and we don't have any, uh, uh, you know, big old uh um trying to think of the 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 cedars that from bc the the cedar and the hemlock there that are enormous and and so we don't think about that diversity uh but but it is there and we can we can help out in making sure that our that all of our lawns and all of our gardens and, and all of our our extra spaces aren't aren't all totally modified and look the same so i'm uh i i'm i'm i would say that it's important that if you have a garden it's okay for it to look a little funky in going into the winter because uh, some of the sticks and things uh, pushing up are going to be important perches and they're gonna there's gonna be uh, there's going to be uh, native native pollinators that are going to are going to find little hollows on those stems and they're going to make their nests in there and and that's going to be important for the for the spring when they come out and and when you when you look at that that dandelion that's come coming up now and and you think well maybe I'll just give it a good old shot there and, like you could yeah but it's it's going to be one of the only things for there's something like over 200 native bees in Saskatchewan 200 types of bees that are native to Saskatchewan it just blows my mind and and they need stuff to eat the first thing uh in in the summer and and there's not as many crocuses as there once was but there are some of those dandelions that come up at roughly the same time and so the, and and that's a tough one for me because I, I think oh those dandelions are just terrible but they're they are providing a bit of a food source for some of those important uh, fundamental building blocks of of the of the native prairie and and yeah, so just trying to let's 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 not be all the same and and let's let's make it okay for your front lawn to be a little bit longer than your neighbors a little bit longer into the year so that so that the bugs uh, that are maybe they don't seem that important or we're not even seeing them, they're, they're providing food for other animals. There's, there's gonna be bats coming by day now that are gonna start needing to eat stuff. And so they need they need those building blocks as well. Um, yeah, so so don't don't tidy everything up. We, we don't need a pit, not everything needs to be tidy and clean and and this this long. It's okay to have some diversity out there and um, you can you can blame it on me if you get if your if your neighbor gives you the ears.
0: Yeah. And that's great advice. And it'll take, it'll take your neighbors some time to get used to it. And, but yeah, that's such great advice. I love that. And I was, we were definitely one of those people um, when we did live in Saskatoon who were, you know, a little bit weird and, and the shrubs we were growing, you know, we didn't go to the greenhouse and buy some sort of ornamental shrub. We were always like, Ooh, like, Thorny buffalo berries. Like these are okay. This is perfect. Let's <laughs> plant one of these. And people are like, okay, but why wouldn't you buy this beautiful, perfectly globe-looking cedar? And I'm like, well, I don't know, because this one lives here normally. <laughs> so before the concrete was yeah. here, this, this guy lives here. So yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Um, and it's interesting, it was interesting last fall as well. I saw a lot more of this being shared around social media. And I'm not sure why all of a sudden, but people were talking about, Oh, don't, don't rake your lawns. Like I just realized for the first time in my life, like that um, the dead leaves are really, really important habitat for ladybugs. And I remember my five-year-old niece at the time reminding me not to rake my lawn. And I said, yeah, we have like five acres of lawn. So I never rake my lawn. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, my lawn is just, a hay field that we happen to mow so that it looks green and looks like a yard. But, um, and, but yeah, it was just interesting how that sort of shifted and people's brains were really there last fall. So I think it'll take time, but over time I'm seeing more and more people kind of come to connect with um, our spaces being habitat and being spaces for, for other species too. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. There's, I think there's, there's probably some, Less dynamic. There's not going to be any bison uh running across my lawn anytime soon. But but there's other some of the building blocks of of those important bits of of life are are there and they need they need that space as well. So yeah, yeah, I'm for little sure. Little <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Ladybugs to bison. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> thank you, Matthew, for taking the time to chat with me today. I've learned so much. Um, I wanted to give you an opportunity if if our listeners or or folks who have tuned in um, have any questions or want to learn a bit more, um, how can they learn a little bit more about Nature Conservancy of Canada and and where can they connect with you guys?
1: Yeah, I think there's, there's a number of different opportunities. Um, We are, we are on, on the social media. So we're on the Facebook, we're on the Twitter um, and we've got our our website, the Nature Conservancy, uh, um, Google it, Nature Conservancy of Canada. And you will find us there, uh, and that's a great spot to look out for. Uh, we have a lot of webinars that are that are um, that kind of highlights some of the different work that we do. Uh, and then when we're back to normal, there is volunteer opportunities here in Saskatchewan for people. We usually run uh, ten or twelve of those every summer, um, and they're great opportunities to meet people. There, there's always uh, a few NCC staff there, and then the other people, the other volunteers that you're going to meet there are just amazing. Uh, dedicated people that are also they I, I i i meet uh i meet insect experts i meet dandelion experts or not da- um, dragonfly experts and and passionate people about uh, nature photography and and you just you, you you're you going to be surprised at the connections you're going to make at one of these volunteer events um yeah those i think those are you're good you're good to good things to get connected with for, for Nature Conservancy of Canada.
0: Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to include some of those links in the show notes to the episode so that folks can, can connect. And yeah, yeah, I can't wait for things to go back to normal and and hopefully I can join for one of your um, NCC volunteer sessions. That sounds awesome. So thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today, Matthew. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me. We'll talk to you again soon.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Sustainable Stories podcast. This podcast is hosted by myself, Jenna Inglot, as well as Roxanne Wagner from Sage Sustainable Solutions Consulting. For a full list of episodes, as well as more information about Sage, check us out online at sagesustainable.com. And as always, we welcome your feedback, thoughts and suggestions. Catch you next time.